Welcome, my name is Loriana Hernandez Aldama, two-time cancer survivor and patient advocate, and you are listening to Stage Free, a place where we help cancer patients find the tools and resources they need to master survival. Cancer survivorship begins the day you are diagnosed. Over time, you may beat it or you may learn to live with it. Whatever the outcome, you probably wanna talk about it, and that's where we can help. Each week, I will share my insights and personal experience along with notable experts and cancer survivors. Together, we can help patients navigate the complicated road all survivors must travel. The goal, we want everyone to have an equal chance to not only survive, but most importantly, to thrive. Welcome to Stage 3. I'm so excited that you have all joined us today. I have another special guest. He's been on before. I'm excited for you to hear from him again, Dr. Mohammed Jahansab, Dr. MJ, as I like to call you. Thank you for joining me again today. I, I love talking to you because not only are you brilliant, but you break everything down in such a conversational way for patients to understand. And there's so much to learn. So today I want to talk about genetic testing. You and I talked about this when we first met. I said, oh my gosh, we have to have you on stage free and also survivorship care plans. So let's start off. First of all, thank you for coming back. And I, thank want, to, you I want to talk about genetic testing. When I met you, we were at a dinner and I'm telling you, um, I had my genetic testing when I had breast cancer in 2020. How do I know as a patient, because you don't know when you finish active treatment, what to do next? How do I know when I need another genetic test? How do I know they did enough? I can't even find my genetic testing. I just know they said you don't have BRCA and that it's not all about BRCA. So tell me what we should know as a patient after active treatment. So the first important thing to know is that contrary to popular belief, 90% of breast cancer patients do not have a family history of breast cancer. So if you have family history, you have reason to be concerned. And if you have family history, then ideally it's that relative, whether it's your sister or mother, aunt, grandmother, or cousin who had breast cancer, for them to be tested. If they have a deleterious mutation that can be inherited, only then there's a reason for you to test yourself and get concerned. Because if your mother or sister who had breast cancer did not have that mutation, then you should not be worried about a mutation causing your breast cancer. So let's assume that you qualify, which, you know, in some situations up to a quarter of patients these days could qualify. When you say qualify, you mean by BRCA1, BRCA1, BRCA2, BRCA2? Yes, yes. So that used to be the first set of genes that were described and strongly associated. And the association is strong. There's between 50 and 80% risk over a lifetime to develop cancer if you have either of those genes. Uh, so uh, now the panels have gone into dozens of genes. Uh, it's not just BRCA1 or 2. And within BRCA1 or 2, there are many variants. And some of those are called variants of uncertain significance, VUS. Uh, where we don't really know whether they cause an increased risk or not. Uh, but now we look at PEL-B2, we look at ATM, STK-11, B53, that list goes on and on. It's an alphabet soup. Uh, but <laughs> Well, and, you know, I like that you're mentioning this, and I'm going to have you repeat those because so many times women let their guard down and say, well, I don't have a history or I don't have BRCA1 or BRCA2, and they kind of, you know, forget their scans and not skip a mammogram, but it's not just all about BRCA1 and BRCA2. You could still be at risk with other genetic markers. Yes. 
So first of all, there are two populations we are talking about, so not to confuse anybody. So first is a relative of a patient uh, who does not have breast cancer, who just is concerned about their risk. So that's one group. But the other is somebody newly diagnosed with breast cancer. So those are two different groups because somebody who's already, um, you know, developed it, you no longer call them at risk. They have eliminated their risk by having it. So they, they are actually at level above. And if they are young, they need genetic testing again, not for themselves, but for their offsprings and siblings and, you know, relatives. So it's a key concept that the suspect number one that we need to rule out is somebody already diagnosed. Right. And then you worry about those who have not developed it yet. And then the, the second point that you are alluding to is if somebody was tested for BRCA one or two, five years ago, seven years ago, because we have had those tests for a number of years and they are still concerned um, by having, you know, daughters and sisters, um, siblings, they need to go back and get uh, a more comprehensive panel done now because there are panels of dozens of genes now. You know, some may have 26, some may have 47, 84. Um, the numbers keep going up. Again, I'm embarrassed to say this because I'm an advocate, but I have no idea how many genes they tested me for in 2020. I know they had to do a skin punch because I have my sister's mm -hmm. DNA. And mm -hmm. to make sure it wasn't my sister's DNA they were looking at, they were looking at my own skin punch. But how do we know like, when new testing has been done that like the number that they test for? I'm not even making sense because this is confusing for me and I'm well-educated. And I think about how confusing is this for somebody who isn't as health literate, isn't as well-educated when I'm having trouble understanding this myself? I think, again, I've said it before, the key is to have a good doctor so that all of the burden of this is not on you. To answer your other question, just look at the report from the test result and it'll show you how many genes were tested. It's very simple. It should be on the report. But I also say uh, that maybe we don't need 84 or 47. You know, not all of them are actionable uh, in this day and age. So uh, some of the higher number reports uh, is, in my view, uh, a means of marketing the test. Just saying, oh, their test has 26, we got 47, so we are better. It's not always better. So that's why uh, having uh, a physician, an expert, make those judgment calls as to which test is best for you is a simple way to go. You just should advocate so that at least the discussion happens so that he or she doesn't forget to mention genetic testing because they were busy or preoccupied. But uh, you have also mentioned that just because you may have had genetic testing at a top tier NCI-designated cancer center doesn't mean you mo may have had the most current one. Yes. You can't just let your guard down again. You cannot because, you know, you can easily have senior physicians at an NCI-designated center who, uh, who set their ways 20 years ago and they are reluctant to change unless something uh, really is glaringly obvious. And then there are those who are early adopters. So who may be in the community. Uh, you never know. Uh, it's so individual physician dependent. And uh, it's just important to remember that buildings don't treat patients. Doctors treat patients. Know your doctor. Know your doctor and, and find yeah. one you have a good relationship with and that you have the trust level. So can yes. you complete this sentence? If you had a genetic test X amount of years ago, you need another one. 
I would say five. I didn't know I was going to play that game with you, but I figured let me know so I know when I need to go get my new genetic testing because yeah, I. But as long as you know that that number is pulled out of thin air. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's pulled out of thin air. I just want to know at what time do I need to go be a, be a pain in the neck with my care team and push for it and say, I need another genetic test. Um, yeah. Talking about as looking ahead with genetic testing and risk factors, I want to talk about survivorship care plans because this is really starting to come out more and more that 66% of patients say that their oncologist either didn't communicate with any of their other healthcare providers about plans for their survivorship, and they didn't know if that communication was taking place either. So what do you say to that? How can you, what do you tell a patient who just completes active treatment? Again, I understand metastatic breast cancer patients never get to complete active treatment in many ways, but for those of us who do hit the completion of active treatment, and we don't know what's next, like who, who's our, who is our quarterback at that point into survivorship? Who is our pit crew yeah. leader? So, so therapy that lasts for years are pills. Um, intravenous therapy, whether it's antibodies, including immunotherapy or chemotherapy drugs, they, they are given for a finite length of time. So there is a very well-defined finite end of chemotherapy or intravenous therapy. There's a finite end point of radiation. Usually that's when the patients ring their bell. We don't have bells in our chemo suite so much because there are patients with stage four disease who are being treated indefinitely and it's not good to ring a bell in the middle of a room where some people will never get to do that. So, right. but in radiation, there is a finite end point and patients ring a bell. So I think that can be a good landmark to give them survivorship instructions. And as a medical oncologist, I tell them that you'll need to be seen uh, three to six months for the next three years. And then you generally will be seen six to 12 months for two more years and then annually thereafter. But since they are in my office and I can't talk in generalities, I have to give them a particular appointment. My personal practice is to see them every three months for three years and every six months for two years, then once a year after five years. And do you agree with having mammograms after a double mastectomy? Like I had one doctor say yes, another doctor saying no, you, you're going to need a different sort of scan. Yeah. So I tell my patients who have had double mastectomy that there is no mam to gram. There's no, <laughs> so there's no breast left to do a mammogram on. So yes, if if I'm suspicious about something being left behind or they had positive margins, uh, despite best efforts of the surgeon, uh, if you want a test, you would do an MRI of the chest wall, but no mammogram. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's good to know. So I know yeah. what to push for when I talk to my doctors. Um, so it is when you, when you brought up bringing the bell, it really reminded me when I went through leukemia treatment, I never got to ring a bell because after a bone marrow transplant, they say, oh, well, just because a transplant's done, we don't know if you're going to live for the next two years. So I always felt that, that there is a lot of talk about whether the bell is good psychologically for people or not, because people who had met, who have metastatic, which you brought up, they don't get to ring a bell. I never got to ring a bell. It does play tricks on your mind. And there is that psychological aspect of fighting cancer into survivorship. Yes. Yeah, I think in some patients, if there was a separate room where we could take them and ring a bell, maybe, but, <laughs> but not, <laughs> not where all the other patients, some of whom are not going to stop their treatment, are also able to hear. That's just my humanitarian opinion. There's no scientific study on it. 
Well, I appreciate all your insight. If there's any, we're almost out of time, but if there's any other thing you'd like to add before we go um, about genetics or survivorship care plans, feel free to, to chime in. Yeah, the most common question, other than what I already described that comes up, uh, is scans after finishing your treatment. So some patients psychologically feel they should continue to get PET scans or CAT scans to quote-unquote prove that I'm clean. Uh, And that's not a thing. We don't do that uh, because either you are clean or if, God forbid, cancer comes back, then we treat it like a chronic disease. And no one has shown that earlier detection of recurrence and earlier intervention because of that detection prolongs survival. Uh, So please don't ask your provider uh, to do scans unnecessarily. And if they say it's not my practice to do scans, please don't fire them and go to somebody else just to get a scan. (laughs) Were you in my last appointment? (laughs) Because I have had back pain, crazy back pain for months for a few months. And I said to my oncologist, you know, with leukemia, they do a blood draw. You're like, your white count is good. You're good. You can like click your heels on the way out and think, well, I'm still in pain, but Hey, I'm okay. I don't have leukemia, but breast cancer, I want throw me in a scan so I can sleep better. Tell me I'm okay. This time he knew my anxiety. And I think he just listened to me and said, I, I'm going to send you for an MRI. Then they said, well, you have four bulging discs in your back. Like, oh, well, maybe that's my back pain. So, yeah. um, No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to not have scans if you have symptoms. Anybody who has back pain should be investigated for uh, a recurrence. And that would be negligent to not. I'm just saying if you have no symptoms, you're feeling fine, your test results are fine, your physical exam is fine, and you want uh, a PET scan just for good measure, please don't do that. Okay, that, that is great advice. And that will calm everyone's fears. So, Dr. MJ, you are amazing. I can't wait to have you on again at some point in our series for stage three. Thank you so much for joining us. And to all the listeners, thank you so much for listening because our mission here at stage three is to help you master survival and give you the tools you need for success. Like what Dr. MJ was talking about. We want you to leave empowered, more educated about your cancer journey and informed as well. Remember, we are all in this together. Thank you. Thank you. It was a privilege and an honor. Thank you for listening to our podcast stage free. Join us every week for a new podcast featuring thought leaders and experts who will help cancer survivors not only survive, but ultimately thrive throughout treatment and recovery as they learn how to master survival. Learn more about us at armorupforlife.org.